Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm super excited to, to start this series. We don't typically do series like this, but David and I thought it'd be really fun to, because it's Christmas, to pause and, and do something a little bit different. I do want to ask you, right, as Tyler um, did a little poll earlier, I'm not the guy who gets super excited about Christmas, right? I just, I'm, I'm kind of a Grinch, okay? Like, I, I typically don't get excited, but that changed when I had little kids. Right, so we have a three-year-old and a soon-to-be one-year-old. Things kind of change. I don't know if like, it just softened a little bit, um, but I found myself getting a little bit more excited about Christmas, right? <clears throat> to the point where um, right after you know, Thanksgiving, I started thinking about things, right? Like, man, the Christmas lights gotta go up. I know some of you, you're like Walmart, right? You're on the same timeline as Walmart. Halloween, then Christmas, that's typically not me. But um, I found myself last week or two weeks ago um, accidentally wanting to pull Christmas lights down, right? Like, I don't know how that happened. I tried to fight it, but Christmas lights started coming down and then I accidentally got a peppermint mocha um, at Starbucks. I don't even know how that happened. It was just like, I went to the drive-thru and that's what came out. Um, and then I accidentally found Mariah Carey's Christmas playlist. I had Justin Bieber when he was like 12 singing Christmas songs and I lost my voice singing, all right? So I don't know how that happened. It just accidentally, here I am, right? I'm Christmased out and I'm super excited um, um, for Christmas. I'm excited for the holidays. And what's cool about the series that we're going to go through is um, for the next four weeks, we're looking at songs sang by very critical characters in the Christmas story, right? Go ahead and find your way to the book of Luke. We'll be in chapter one. But there's four songs that were sang before, during, and after the birth of Jesus. And these songs that once we get into them, we're not only going to sing the heart behind the person singing that song, but all of these songs are pointing to how important the birth of Jesus Christ is, not just to them in that time period, but for us and for all of history. And so I'm really excited um, because I know that as we dig into these, they're going to draw us closer into Jesus. So with that being said, we're going to start with um, the first song. Um, it's Mary's song, Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? She, she has just been told that she would be pregnant and this baby would be the savior of the world. So who was Mary, right? Well, I know we, we know some things about her. If you grew up in the church, you know some, but it's always good to look at context and remember who these people are because these were real life people, right? These aren't just fake made up people. These, this was a real person. So Mary, at this point, young girl, probably 12, 13, 14 years old. She was poor from the, from the ghetto desert of Nazareth, all right? So this poor um, girl. Um, and in that culture, she, she was for sure uneducated, um, low on the totem pole kind of person. Nothing really special about her. She was betrothed to Joseph, but that was about it. Right. And everything that we know about Mary painted the picture of a common person. Like I said, nothing special in like the corporate world, not someone that you would elect to lead anything, just a common person. And even if you really dig into it, we would probably say, man, she's actually unqualified. She was an unqualified, a young, poor girl. But here's what God does, right? And what I want you to kind of catch is God is in the business of taking those who are unqualified, those that people would write off and, and con like everyday common people and using them to do big work for his kingdom. 
That's what God is in the business of doing, and that's what we see, that God had a plan for Mary. He sends Gabriel, the angel, to, to send a message to her that, hey, you are the chosen one to bring forth the Savior of the world, right? Big, big, big mission, right? And you guys remember the story. The angel tells Mary this, and her response was, how is this going to happen, right? Like, she's uneducated, but she knows it takes two to tango, right? Like, hey, I'm a virgin. How am I going to give birth to anything? And the angel replies to her, hey, man, listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and God will take care of the rest. And this son is going to be, the, the, this, this baby will be the son of God. And what's awesome in this whole story, the angel gives her some, some very tangible things to help her with some doubt. He told her, hey, do you remember your cousin Elizabeth, who's older in years, and she's barren? Hey, she's pregnant right now. Like all these things are going to take place. God has a plan. So with that in mind, remember Mary, young, poor, a virgin, uneducated, huge mission dropped on her. And her response was beautiful. Look at Luke chapter one, look at verse 38. This was her response. This young, uneducated, poor, unqualified girl in response to this massive message, she says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done according to me, or done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. I mean, how amazing is that response? She, she responds uh, as this young teenager being faced with all kinds of things. Remember, she's not married, so she's facing criticism. She's facing hate. She's facing maybe Joseph might leave me once I tell him that I'm pregnant. She, she's facing the, the fear of, man, maybe my family will reject me. So then, then I have to give birth and raise this baby on my own. She's, she's faced with, like, what are people going to say? Right? Like, man, girl, like, what happened? How are you pregnant? Who's the daddy? And Mary has to respond, girl, you don't even understand who the daddy is, right? Like, it sounds crazy. But her response was, yes, I am the Lord's servant. I'm in. Whatever it is, God, I am, and I am your servant. Now, moving forward, this is what happens next. Mary packs up her stuff and takes this long, multiple-day kind of journey to see her cousin Elizabeth. And, and, and scholars think there's multiple reasons why Mary did this. One, I think that she went to celebrate. Her, her, her cousin Elizabeth um, was older. She was barren. And so she wants to go celebrate. Remember, there's no Facebook, like, gender reveal live stream parties going on, right? So she wants to go celebrate with her cousin. But I think in a deeper note, she's going to go see Elizabeth to prove to herself what she already has faith in. That God said, hey, you're, you're going to have a baby, and so is your cousin. So this isn't like a doubtful thing. She has faith, and so she wants to go just like, hey, I just want to see it for myself. And so she makes this journey um, to go see her cousin Elizabeth. And the Bible says that the moment she walks into the room, remember, Elizabeth is carrying a few months uh, um, baby John, John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner to Jesus. Right? Elizabeth is already pregnant a couple of months, and, and, and Mary has, um, y'all remember this term, little baby zygote Jesus, okay? Like, she's barely pregnant. She walks into the room, and I want you to see what happens, where, where John inside of Elizabeth just leaps for joy. Look at verse 43 and 45. This is Elizabeth speaking to Mary. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. This is amazing. 
Not just because these cousins get to be excited and share a cool moment. This is an historic moment. Here's how. In this moment, God had been silent for 400 years. Before this moment, before angels were speaking to Mary and, and all this take place, God was silent for over 400 years. Here's why. God had chosen the nation of Israel to be his example, to be his people, but they kept rebelling over and over, trusting in false gods and then repenting, trusting in man and army and then repenting. But God finally said, hey, if that's the route you want to choose, go for it. And for 400 years, he was silent. No prophets, no messages from angels, complete silence. And all that the people held on to was the Old Testament promises that God had made that one day a Messiah, a Savior would be born and he would redeem all of mankind. So for 400 years, generation after generation, they were just hoping and waiting for the day that the Savior would be born. And then 400 years goes by, God breaks his silence and is telling Mary, you would be the one to bring that baby into the world that God's fulfillment of his promise, the Messiah, the Savior, would come through Mary. And Elizabeth and baby John just bouncing in her stomach is rejoicing and declaring what God promised is true. That is the Savior of the world. And what this does inside of Mary in this moment brings so much joy, so much hope in her soul that it causes her to bust out in what I would like to call the first Christmas song, right? I mean, he, she just bust out. So let's look at her, at her song. Look at verse 46 through 47. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My, I'm sorry, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Another translation says, my soul magnifies the Lord or my spirit rejoices, makes much of God, my savior. I, I love how she starts this. I love that phrase that her soul magnifies the Lord. That, that word is translated to enlarge. My soul makes much, it makes bigger of my God. Now for Thanksgiving, I had a cool dad moment. All right, how many of you had a good Thanksgiving? Anybody y'all have good Thanksgivings? Good, we didn't, all right? So both of our girls got RSV at the same time. So it, like we had plans to go eat good food. We ended up eating Kroger meal kits, all right? Like whatever they had left over, by the way, they weren't that bad, right? So the Kroger little meal kits were actually pretty good. Um, but however, girls were finally feeling a little bit better. I was so antsy um, that I said, I have to do something outside. And I found my daughter's magnifying glass, okay? I said, oh, this is like, dad, you already know where I'm going with this, right? What are magnifying glasses used for, right? They tell you to make things bigger. In reality, men, we know it's for burning stuff, right? It's catching stuff on fire, ants, snails, whatever you can find, we're burning those things, right? And so I finally had this cool moment with my daughter. We burned a bunch of stuff. I think I started something in her. I wish I didn't. Um, but cool moment with the magnifying glass. Here's what Mary is saying. That she is so excited, so hopeful, so filled with joy that she wants to magnify the things going on in her life, not to point to herself, but to magnify showing what God is doing so that everyone around her will know how good God actually is. And this is what happens. When, when God begins to work in your life, 
right? When, when, when someone comes to know Jesus and, and they fully surrender and walk in obedience and God starts chipping away the bad and he starts working, transforming things in your life that you know, man, if anyone knew this part of me, like they would judge me, they would think differently. I mean, God starts working on those areas and, and fills what was, which was what's hate is now filled with love. Right? Where there was despair, now Jesus replaces that with joy. He starts doing this good work that you can't help but to say, I need to tell somebody. I, I need to show, I need to brag. I want to magnify everything in me to make less of me, but to make much of Jesus. Even if that means putting a magnifying glass on the good, the bad, and the ugly so that people can see how good God actually is. This is what she's doing. She said, my soul magnifies. I want everyone to look at my life, all of it, so I can show them, man, God is really good. And then she continues her song. Look at verse 48. We see how, how, uh, what she's trying to display. Verse 48, 49, because this is what she says, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from, on, from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. Why is she praising? Why is she magnifying? Because God has done something big in her life. Remember, 12, 13, maybe 14 years old at this point, uneducated, from the desert, social standards at the bottom, right? She is literally um, at the low, low of like all social standings and yet God chose her. And what we need to understand is God didn't choose her because she was perfect. God didn't choose her because she had all of her stuff put together as a young teenager. I don't know about you, no teenager has anything put together, right? We as adults don't have things put together very well. So God didn't choose Mary because of Mary. He chose her because he showed favor to her. He showed mercy to her. She said, he looked on my humble condition, still calling herself a servant. I mean, this is how she identifies, humble. Her whole life, she was nothing special in anyone's eyes but God's. And he called her, and she simply just said, yes, I'm in. Your will be done in my life. And so what we need to understand is just as God had a plan for Mary, y'all look at me, he has a plan for your life. And I don't know what that specifically looks like. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I got him. I'm not him. But know this, the Bible teaches that we are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works, which he's already laid out for us to do. In other words, God has something special for you to do. But are you willing, just like Mary, to say yes? Are you willing to humble yourself, remember who you are, and go, God, whatever it is, I'm all in. Don't let the enemy allow lies to creep in that you're not qualified, that you're not good enough, that you don't know enough, that the things you've done in the past, if people knew that, why would they listen to you share about Jesus? That is, that is a lie from the pits of hell. God is calling you to make much of him in your life. He's calling, listen, he is calling every single one of us to know him at a deeper level, but to make him known to those around us. He's in the business of taking dirty, broken people and using them to build his kingdom on earth. And what does it take? Look at Mary. It takes, to be, it takes you to be humble and it takes your yes. 
Outside of that, God will figure the rest out for you. Just be humble, say yes, and watch God use you to impact the world. So Mary, she can't help but to just bust out in song. She's magnifying God. Why? Because he's done great things in her life. But the next part of her song, Mary is pointing us to what God has done in the past and what he's going to do for all of his people. Look at verse 50. We're going to go down to verse 55. She sings, his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has spoken to our ancestors. The, the phrase that you should have um, caught is the phrase that he has. He has done this. He has done that. And she's referring to everything in the Old Testament that God had promised the nation of Israel, that he has promised these things, and he has done it, right? The thing that she said is God has scattered the proud. I mean, that is the summary of the Old Testament, right? That, that, that we as mankind walked around arrogant. We walked around prideful. We walked around thinking that we could be a better God than God himself. And so when we walk around like that, God allows it until we have to be humbled, right? Where either our sin smacks us or God goes, watch this. I mean, that's the summary of, of the nation of Israel over and over. And what God would do is he would show grace. He would show mercy. He would send a prophet and say, man, be warned, repent, turn away, stop doing this because I am a God of justice. And, and then she quotes something. Right? She, she's actually quoting um, um, King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Y'all remember that story, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, super evil guy, very prideful and arrogant to the point where he builds a statue of himself and tells everyone, hey, you're going to worship this, right? There was a point where he has a crazy dream and it's freaking him out. And the only person that can interpret this dream was Daniel. And Daniel tells him, hey, your dream is actually God warning you. Like, dude, you need to humble yourself or God's going to cut you down. And there's a point where in Daniel 4, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down so you can read it later, that, that he, Nebuchadnezzar um, says this. He says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is showing everyone, this kingdom that I've built, Babylon, I did this. No one did. I did this. Look at my glory. Look at my kingdom. He ignores the warning. He ignores God's grace of like, hey, dude, repent. And he stands in arrogance. And here's what happens next. As Nebuchadnezzar literally challenges God, calls down his mighty arm right upon himself. And guess what happens? God, God shows up, right? The Bible tells us that he literally loses his mind. He, he gets on all fours. Like he goes insane. He starts crawling around and snorting like an animal, right? I don't know about you, my three-year-old does that when she wants veggie straws, okay? So maybe he was just hungry, but God, I think he just like finally had enough. So he's crawling around. He literally goes mentally insane. He's outcasted, lost his kingship, his glory that he boasted of. And for seven years, this is what happens to him. And at the end of the seven years, he looks to God in belief. And I want you to hear his response. Daniel 4, 34 through 37. At the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. 
Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom, listen, remember Mary's song, is from generation to generation. So King Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of seven years of a full rebellion and getting what he deserved, looks to God and God graciously gives him his sanity back and he sings, he praises God as going, this kingdom, God the Most High, is honored and glorified. He lives forever and generation to generation is going to know about this God. And, and so Mary, right, she, she's singing not just because of what God's done in her life, but because of what God has done in the past. She knows the bigger picture. She knows that what God had promised in the Old Testament will one day come true through the baby that she would give birth to. Because remember, for 400 years, we heard nothing from God, just holding on to the promise. And Mary sings what Nebuchadnezzar spoke. She sings, his mercy is from generation to generation. For who? To those who fear him. I mean, that is the hope Mary knew her son would bring. She knew her son would be the savior that they had all been waiting for. That her son would be the one to bring salvation to anyone who would humble themselves to him. That her son would be the one to uplift the lowly and humble the proud. That she knew that her son would be the one to satisfy those who are hungry and thirsty, not just physically, but spiritually. That her son would be the one to bring full mercy, full grace, full salvation to anyone who would repent to him and surrender to him as Lord. And so Mary, this young girl, praising, magnifying because of what God has done in her life, what he's done in the past, and then lifts her voice and says what he's going to do in the future. So family, can I ask you a question? How are you magnifying the Lord with your life? How are you making much of Jesus? How are you telling, leveraging your life, your resources, your home, your, your career, your sport, your school? How are you leveraging your life to tell other people, listen, this is what God has done in me and what he wants to do in you? Because there's a danger that we face as Christians. Can I tell you that danger, family? Say yes. I was gonna tell you anyways, all right? Here's the danger that we face as Christians. The longer that we walk with Jesus, there's this word called entitlement that can, if we're not careful, start to creep into our lives. Where when we first got saved, we knew humbly, we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve grace. We don't deserve for God to look at us after we've rebelled and rebelled and rebelled, look at us and go, I still love you. So when we first accept Jesus, that is fresh on our hearts and minds. But the longer that we walk with him, if we're not careful, we will begin to think that we actually do deserve those things, right? And this is what that looks like. We start giving our money. We start giving our time. We start coming to church, right? Doing all the things and then use that as leverage, not for other people, but leverage against God to go, God, look at what I'm doing for you. Now you bless me. That's called entitlement. Right, where all of a sudden, because of who I am, I become proud and think that, man, I actually do deserve God's grace and his mercy and his blessing. And so what does Mary do? She shows us, no, 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 listen, be humble. God doesn't do the things he does in your life because you're awesome. 
He does those things in your life because he's awesome. He's the blessing giver. You're just the humble receiver. Mary wasn't chosen because she was perfect. She was chosen because God just showed favor. He said, hey, you're it. Are you in? And she said, yes. That's called being humble. Let me ask you, like, are you still humbled at the fact that God loves you? Like Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, are you still humbled at the fact that God looks at you not as an enemy, but as a son or daughter? Are you still humbled at the fact that Jesus literally died a gruesome death to free you from sin? Are you still humbled at the fact that God put on flesh, didn't have to come to earth, but did, to set you free? That he would extend grace, that he would extend mercy to people like us. Are you still humbled at that fact? Don't let entitlement creep in. Everything that God does in in our life is is not just for us. Like, I want you to know what Mary's saying here, right? Mary's not, she's not being prideful and arrogant when she says, people are going to call me blessed. She's saying, like, listen, look under the, the magnifying glass. I'm nothing, but God did something big in me. And she knew it wasn't even for her. She said, what's happening in my life is for generations and generations and generations after me. So listen, the, the gospel, Jesus didn't die on the cross to set you free from sin and then stop there. The gospel didn't come for you, to you so that you can be real nice and cozy in, in a warm room, sing a song, sit on a, a, a nice chair, and then go home and live life like nothing ever happened. Now, that's not why Jesus died. He died to set you free so that you can take the gospel to the next person. Can I, can I take a step further? Say yes. Greenbrier, here's what I'm super excited for our future as a church family. We just bought land right? Like it's going down. Like we're going to get a new campus here in Greenbrier. And can I tell you something about that campus before it's even built? That campus is not for you. It's not. That, like I've been in the Southern Baptist world since I was a kid. Okay. I know what happens. Can I tell you what God doesn't care about that next campus? He doesn't care what the color of the walls are going to be in that next campus or the carpet, or if we have carpet or like he cares nothing about that. Okay. What he cares is that we go into that land and we build a new building with the goal of reaching more people than Greenbrier. Everything that God does in your life is not just for you. It's for you to take it, put it under a magnifying glass, your soul boast about it for those around you who need to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. So so don't don't become entitled to that. And don't become complacent in that. Use your life as leverage to reach those around you. So um, Tyler, you can come on up. Here's how we'll end the service. I just wanna ask you a question. Christians, like how are you magnifying the Lord? Is your life under a magnifying glass so that people can see not just the good, right? Right? It's easy to talk about the good things in our life, but Mary didn't do that. She didn't have good in her life. She had nothing, and yet she put her life under a magnifying glass so that people can see God. How are you doing that? 
How are you making much of Jesus in your life and less of yourself? I would challenge you and your family this holiday season, right? Like we, we've heard sermons, right? Like remember the reason of the season, man, that's, that's good. But how are you leveraging your life, your family, your resources to magnify and make much of Jesus Christ? I would challenge you, share your story with somebody. I'd share. Open your mouth and literally tell someone, man, this is what I was going through and I, I leaned on God and this is what he did in my life. Because listen, most people are not gonna relate to the, all the good things in your life, right? We all, we're all blessed. We live in America, we all, like, we're all blessed in here. But you know what people relate to the most in your life? The hard things that you go through. The hurt, the pain, the loss, the struggle. You know why people relate to that more? Because our life and our world, it's hard. Like, life sucks. Sin has messed things up. So when we magnify, put that magnifying glass over the hard things in our life to show people, man, listen, this is what was going on. This is how I leaned on Jesus. And this is what he did. That changes people. That gives them hope. Your story is not about you. It's about what God has done in you. So share that. Share your story. Share the good, the bad, the ugly, and watch God. Just say, yes, God, I will be the one. If no one else shares, I will do it. And then watch him use you to build his kingdom. Or stay in that seat. Become entitled to God's blessing. Live your whole life. Die and look back and leave no legacy of mission behind. I would advise you not to do that. God created you for more than just sitting in a church. He created you to make an impact. And if you're like, man, I'm not qualified, Mary wasn't either, and yet she birthed and raised Jesus. That's a lot of pressure on a teenage girl. Like we're 30 and I'm just praying, God, I hope I don't mess these girls up that we're raising. Mary was unqualified by every sense of the word. She just said yes, and God made the rest happen. So if you're a Christian, magnify the Lord. And for some of you, you're in here like, man, I don't know where I even stand with God. Listen, I want you to know, I'm glad that you're here. You are welcomed here. Like, keep coming here. Some of you have doubts, fears, and questions about God. Some of you are mad at God. Listen, I'm glad you're here. You are welcomed here. But this whole song is pointing to hope that if God can do it in someone else's life, he can show up in your life and change everything. And so for some of you are like, man, I don't know where I stand with God. Like I go to church. I don't know if I have a relationship with him. That's step one. How do you do that? How do you accept his grace? How do you accept this mercy that, that Mary's singing about? One, humble yourself, just like she did. Humble yourself. Know who you are. You tell the Lord, Lord, I know I'm, certain, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. I know I have baggage. And then repent. Lord, forgive me of those things. And then just like Mary, surrender to him. Surrender to the will. Lord, I need you in my life. I say yes to you. You become the Lord, the God, the boss, the king of my life. And whatever you tell me to do, I'm all in. 
One of my favorite verses is in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're in here and you've been playing a church game, just thinking that if you go to church and you give your money and you sing the songs that you're saved, I'm here to tell you it, it, that that won't get you to heaven. The only way to heaven, Jesus says, is, is through him. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So humble yourself. Confess to him your sin and your need for him and surrender him. Make him the Lord, the King, the boss of your life. And then follow in Mary's footsteps. Use the rest of your life to magnify him. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.